Our scripture lesson today is Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 through 18, found on pages 65 and 66 in your Old Testament part of your pew Bible. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant, Joshua, and, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders, he had said, wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the, on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. At the same time, it's not easy being in the religion business, I will say. <laughs> it is not easy working in a field, specifically, where the answers to so many basic questions are, I don't know. I mean, can you imagine for a moment if you asked your accountant, so, so what are the tax implications of moving my 401k and hearing, well, that, my friend, is a great mystery. <laughs> or if you asked your plumber, you know, hey, when, when's the water going to get turned back on? And the reply was, hmm, let us pray. <laughs> this doesn't happen in other fields because in other fields there are answers, solid clear answers. But every day as I talk with people about God and faith, I am forced to acknowledge how little we really know. This past week I was with a family at Denver Hospice as their loved one was in his last days. And as we sat and talked, the conversation turned to heaven. And they asked me, lightheartedly, but you know, seriously too, what I thought about heaven. And I told them that I believe in my bones that when we die, we return to the God who created us, and where that is, is good and loving. But the details about what that is and what that looks like, I said, those remain a mystery. And I think they agreed with that. They mentioned, though, that the, the chaplain of the, of the hospice had dropped off a booklet on heaven. And I picked it up and I thumbed through it. On the front is the bird heaven and, you know, pink clouds. And, and on the inside were chapter headings like what our family members are going to look like in heaven and where our pets will be in heaven. And, and I think we agreed that the book was, you know, a little cheesy, uh, but I don't mention it to, to make fun of it, because 
in that moment, as I'm holding that book, I was perplexed. I, I wished that I could offer the same kind of certainty that this book did. And I wondered then, and, and since then, what, what can, what should I, as a pastor, offer in that kind of situation? What's the role of the pastor? What's the role of religion, really? In moments like these, when families, rightly, are asking questions, searching for answers. Because I believe our faith is here to bring us comfort and understanding. But it also has to tell the truth. So what do we do when the truth is we don't know? That word religion more than likely comes from a Latin root called religare. It comes from a verb, ligare, which means to attach or to bind. It's the same root that gives us the word ligament, that tough connective tissue in our body, which makes sense, right? Good religion works as a binding agent both communally, as it gives us guardrails that keep us uh, on the right path as a society, and personally, it gives us ritual and practices that help to keep our scattered lives held together. Religion rebinds us. It gives us direction and assurance and wisdom and structure for our lives. But in the book, the rise and fall of the Bible, some guy named Dr. Timothy Beale, <laughs> I don't know, points out that Cicero, 2,000 years ago, argued that religion actually, that word religion actually comes from the Latin root religere, from the verb ligere, which means to read. So, rather than something that rebinds us, religion might be about rereading. Interesting. Reread what? In the big picture, maybe our lives or the meaning that we give to look again at these things. I like the way these two work together because it describes something that I experience as a pastor, this tension that I often feel that on the one hand, religion is about giving answers to life's deepest questions. It's about giving structure to people's lives to help them live good lives. And on the other hand, religion is always asking us to question those structures and to live with what we don't know. And I know some people and, well, some churches want more certainty than others. It's something I've always appreciated about this congregation, that it has, a, it has a high tolerance for not knowing, for mystery, for questions. Because as uncomfortable as it can be, I believe that it's often in that not knowing, it's in that not knowing, where we most experience God directly. Our scripture lesson today begins with God saying to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait, and I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and the commandment. And we don't know all that happened up there, but eventually Moses came down with instructions for building the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle that were in ridiculous detail. In other words, he got answers. 
But let's don't miss God's instruction to come up on the mountain and wait there. And let's not forget how a great cloud covered the mountain and how for seven days Moses sat on the mountain and God didn't say a word. And how from below it looked to the other Israelites like the whole thing was on fire. And how Moses stayed on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights before he got his answers. This is a story about God's promise to give us the guidance and the answers that we need to live. And it's a story about waiting and longing and confusion, cloud and fire, unsure if answers will ever come. The season of Lent begins this week. And it's an invitation to ask honest questions about our lives, about, about the ways that we fool ourselves, about the ways that we lie to ourselves, about things we're afraid of. It's an invitation to ask questions about God and life and the meaning of it all. And it's an invitation to resist easy answers to those questions. You see, the thing about answers, like the kind that were in that booklet on heaven, and here's the thing I really want you to take and think about, is that answers can actually separate us from God. Because when we have the answer, then we have the answer. And we don't need to wait on the mountain with God anymore. We have it. We've got the book of explanations in our pocket. And there's almost, there's almost an arrogance to it. A pridefulness or a, to when we're too certain of things. A hubris. And you probably know this, but traditionally the, the ashes that we use on Ash Wednesday that begins Lent are made by burning last year's Palm Sunday branches. That's where they get the ash. And you'll remember that the palm branches were what the people waved triumphantly as Jesus entered the gates of Jerusalem. They were convinced that he would overthrow the Romans. This was a victory parade. It didn't turn out that way. As so many of the things that we are certain of do. And so in a sense, we take the arrogance of our victory parades that didn't turn out and we smudge their ashes in the sign of the cross on our brow. The same place we were marked by baptism and we remember that God is God and we are not. From dust you have come and to dust you shall return. Over and over this Wednesday, Clover and I will have the holy and somber privilege of repeating those ancient words as mortal after mortal. One who dies comes forward and then together we will all sit with our smudged foreheads and our questions. Maybe that's enough. Maybe more important than answers is the experience itself of, of remembering our smallness and our mortality 
and the greatness of God. Maybe it's, even if it's uncomfortable, sitting with this unknown and ultimately unknowable God has its own reward. But it takes time and we have to be here, we have to be patient. You may know that the day before Ash Wednesday is called Shrove Tuesday. Shrove comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, shrift, which means to hear someone's confession. So Shrove Tuesday was the day that people came to the priest, and the priest would hear their confession, and they would be absolved or shriven in preparation for Lent. And in those days, prisoners who were about to be executed would also go before the priest to confess their sins. But perhaps because the priest didn't always think the prisoners deserved it, or perhaps because the priests were sometimes too busy, they didn't always take the time to hear the full confession, to give it its due. <clears throat> causing the prisoners to complain that they had been given short shrift. Over the next 40 days, we are invited to come up the mountain and wait with God, to sit in the cloud of not knowing that may not have answers for us. But I hope you'll come anyway. I hope you'll come on Wednesday and be reminded that you are dust and that your life is a miracle, precious and fleeting. I hope you'll come and sit in the mystery of God and God's love and let that be enough. Let's don't settle for easy answers to questions that deserve more. Let's not be too busy to even ask the questions in the first place. For to do so is to not give God God's due. And it is to give us, ourselves, short shrift.